when you get to serve somebody that way or love them or you know help them engage with their life differently, man, that's that's better than a paycheck. That's better than a title or an accomplishment. I think it makes my soul expand, you know? And that's pretty awesome. When is the last time you felt real joy about your work? If you spend most of your time focused on driving results, but not on driving more joy, you probably have a joy gap. Welcome to Joy at Work. On this podcast, we'll think about how to build a culture that infuses more joy into everyday work life. I'm your host, Alex Liu, Managing Partner and Chairman of AT Kearney. We have spent this season talking about joy, and sometimes it's easy to associate joy with being happy, having fun, celebrating. But joy is really much deeper than that. It's not just about fun or happiness. It's about having a stake in something you really believe in. We've heard this from a number of our guests, that joy comes from experiences where you have a deep connection and a shared purpose with the people and the teammates around you. It's substantive and it's ambitious. It's not too hard to imagine building a work culture that's fun, but building one that's joyful, that's a whole other ball game. And that's why I'm absolutely joyful to talk to Callie Field, someone who inspires joy into 30,000 employees in her orbit. Callie is Executive Vice President of Customer Care at T-Mobile, and her job is all about joy. I'm very excited to welcome Callie Field, EVP of Customer Care at T-Mobile US, to our podcast. Welcome, Callie. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Great, great, great. I know you're up in sunny Seattle. I'm down in San Diego. So we got the West Coast covered here and uh, looking forward to the conversation as well. So let's start from the beginning. Callie, you're on the executive team of one of the hottest telecom companies on the planet. You've got a big, impressive job title. You've got all these employees that look up to you for inspiration every day. I wanted to hear more about how you got started at T-Mobile originally. How did you first join the company? I graduated from law school and finished my MBA. And I went to college early. I had an incredible experience in uh, attending a liberal arts school before that. And up until that time, things in life had kind of worked, you know, just worked. And suddenly I applied for lots of jobs to be what I thought was going to be a civil rights attorney. And in my back pocket, I thought, well, maybe I'll be a rock star. But I'll put that aside for another story. And got turned down what felt like a hundred times and started just to pay the bills, selling cell phones in a mall cart in Austin, Texas. And when I say mall cart, I don't even mean the kiosk. I mean the cart, like the thing that you have to chase around <laughs> and go find where your job location is. And um, that's that's why I started. It was also just a FYI holiday season. And my boss had a penchant for sales employees wearing costumes. So I found myself in an elf costume, like, selling cell phones. That wasn't the life that I thought I was going to have. You know, I say all that, um, one, because it's it's funny. And two, it was pretty humbling. And I think that's a good place to start when you're thinking about joy, because learning how our products translated to actual customers and figuring out how to have fun and be successful from the ground up was really important to me. And it's helped me be, I think, a more connected, authentic leader today. 
So I started there and I took on about six or seven different sales roles, moved all over the country, uh, all kinds of geographies and responsibilities. And then about four years ago, our CEO and president asked me if I would come take a look at customer care, see if I could bring an outside perspective to what we were doing in customer service. And so that's what sort of began where I am today. And then three years ago, I started as a member of the senior leadership team and running the customer care operations, kind of a joint role um, there, looking at end-to-end customer experiences for all of T-Mobile. It's just been a wonderful experience for um, the challenges presented intellectually and uh, from a business profitability and challenges to, to solve, as well as the incredible stories of the people who work for our company and getting to play a larger role in helping to tell those stories and empower our frontline you must have been pretty effective, though, in that elf costume. I mean, uh, you know, you're <laughs> as, as, as a star here. I mean, did you learn any special techniques? How to? I mean, building rapport. You know, joking about yourself. I mean, as you said, you're grounded when you start off in a humble way. And I, I yeah. my first job was at McDonald's. Come on, you know. So. Oh, yeah. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was the only place uh, that would hire me at age 16, and I didn't want to work in the tobacco fields in North Carolina. But uh, yeah, but I mean, just go back to that elf experience. I mean, <laughs> what did you learn from the ground up, if you will? You alluded to it. Well, I got to tell you, one day I was standing in a costume and literally selling phones, talking with customers, and I looked down the hall of the mall, and these two guys that I went to law school with were walking down the hall, and I just wanted to like shrink and hide. But it turns out they didn't recognize me anyway because, you know. <laughs> good con, um, good disguise. That's, yeah. yeah, that's not what they were looking for. But you know what? I learned I learned how challenging it is to be on the front line and stay on top of all of the price changes, product changes, and customer sentiment and how things actually work on the network. I mean, I really learned the ins and outs of what my call center employees today have over 21,000 documents that they are responsible for knowing and accessing. And so I got to experience the complexity firsthand. And I also was able to take a moment and say, hey, in law school, I learned how to uh, present both sides of an issue. I learned a lot of negotiation skills. I learned how to how to research and to communicate my points of view effectively. And I got to put all of that into play on the sales floor. And I also tell this to my frontline employees all the time too. Education can be such a tool, such a resource. Because I had so much confidence, confidence that I maybe didn't have any right to have. But because I had that education, I felt like, well, nobody can ever take that from me. So I'm going to leverage every part of it and be able to achieve the best I can what my sales goals were. And that's kind of where I started is, hey, I, I'll tell you another thing. I learned that I was actually quite competitive. Up until that time, I don't think I would have considered myself a highly competitive person. And I learned how deeply satisfying it was to just kick everyone's ass and, and win. So that served me well over the last 15, 16 years. Well, I've seen you in action. I can attest to the sort of competitive and negotiating spirit. But you mentioned something to me a few times before about the importance of that first job. And a lot of the 30,000 employees that you have, this is their first job. I mean, it's customer sales representative. It's taking customer service calls and the like. You mentioned some very inspiring stories about what that actually means. You know, the job that you had giving jobs to other people. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that's really fun and brings me a great deal of joy, it's really inspiring, is to talk with people on our front line. And in the call centers, most of the time you've got average $35,000 a year employee that's coming in. Maybe it's their first professional job. More than 80% of our frontline employees haven't been to college or completed college. 
And an even higher percentage are the first people in their family to go to college. And so you're talking about folks that there's really an opportunity through with T-Mobile, we offer a free tuition reimbursement program and actually measure how many of our employees complete their education and encourage them to do so in the fields of their choice. Because investing in themselves, their own confidence, their ability to um, think through difficult problems and learn how to solve problems, not only for customers, but in their professional development has created a lot of value in our organization. On the one hand, the buy-in and the passion and the fervor that our frontline has for who we are as a company and what we provide and how we could potentially change the trajectory of their families' lives and sort of break the mold for some things that they've endured in their coming up is really motivating. It's really inspiring to my leadership team and the people who are presenting customer care solutions. But in addition to that, I mean, we've seen our our attrition in customer care go from 45% to down below 20%. And that's a tremendous value to our organization. It means our customers get more tenured employees, so they're better at solving problems. But it also means we significantly reduce our training costs and retention costs and recruiting costs. And uh, it's been a pretty fantastic formula. That famous for care mantra and slogan and initiative has been so powerful from a business improvement perspective. Obviously, it's led to the success that T-Mobile had in the U- in the U.S. in terms of market share, shareholder value, and and keeping customers and the like. And the customer service piece that you lead is so critical to that. From a managerial or executive perspective, how do you keep that focus with your employees? Because for most call center organizations are kind of in the third quartile. They're all kind of mediocre. And you were talking about with your teams, a leadership perspective, a leapfrog perspective. How did you get people to buy into that and actually deliver on the famous for care and customer service mantra? Well, I'll tell you, I had quite a bit of help from my boss. Our CEO is pretty outspoken about just shut up and listen to your customers. And that's the only business strategy that you need. And we've got someone that really takes a business strategy and says, let's put customers at the center of everything we do. It really prioritizes and heightens the role that a customer experience team plays in an organization. And that's been very liberating for call center employees not to be looked at a unit cost of doing business as I think most companies look at customer service and instead be looked at as the heroes and champions of the brand and all things that make us the uncarrier to really be put on center stage and listened to. It's interesting to me because you started out wanting to litigate civil rights, but actually in this job and this role, you are actually pro-consumer and you're actually accomplishing it just in a different way than you had expected. Talk a little bit more about the concept of the team of experts, because I think that's one way that it's inspiring how you flip the customer care equation around, right? People call into this anonymous call center, but now this one is where people have a, a personal connection with the customer calling in for help. Yeah. So we looked at customer service, customer care. When I came into customer care, I thought, you know, we've had this whole revolution in T-Mobile of the uncarrier and challenging, you know, what we call the evil duopoly of our competitors and calling them out and saying, we're going to change wireless for good. And yet we're still operating customer service the same way it's been operating for the last 50 years, randomized call routing to maximize efficiency over asking what should we measure to get true resolution to really be effective in the way that we're serving our customers. So we started with perhaps we're measuring all the wrong things and started to ask our front line and listen to customer calls and say, well, what are our customers telling us? And you could ask any audience, we could ask any of your podcast listeners, what do you hate about calling into customer service? 
and they would tell you transfers, being put on hold, having to repeat my story. In fact, why do I even have to call customer care to take care of what I need to take care of? And as we started bringing these to the forefront, it challenged us to change our point of view. Like maybe we didn't have to look at average handle time in a call center, or maybe we didn't have to do randomized routing for to maximize efficiency. And instead, let's take the things that delight customers, having someone that will take accountability and ownership to fully resolve your issue or that will empower you through self-service tools to take care of it yourself and never have to get on the phone because who even talks on the phone anymore? So when we started with that, we said, well, why don't we change what we're measuring? What we really want is to ask, are our customers happy? And happiness became a metric. Like I love this podcast about joy at work because we were like, let's build in joy into what we're measuring in our call centers. Are our customers happy? Are they staying longer? Are we deepening our relationship with them? And are we helping our customers to do all of that with less effort? At the same time, we redefined our employee metrics and said, let's hold ourselves accountable for the employee experience, just like we are a customer experience. Same four pillars. Are employees happier? Are we deepening our relationship with our employees? Are we creating less effort for our employees? These are things that we found synonymous on both our frontline and our customer experiences. And that led us to a business model that said, let's create new rules for customer care. Let's say you'll never be transferred, not ever, because who would ever have a conversation like that? Let's say we will fully empower our teams to have all the permissions and all the tools to get to resolution the first time to make it right. And then let's put people together on a team who will always own that customer base that can look at their customer base like a PL that can reward and recognize and motivate each other to do the right thing for the customer. So there's no handing off or hiding accountability or responsibility. And we moved to team-based metrics instead of individual metrics. And we base their metrics on a PL of their customer base. And these things combined really really changed the way that we are servicing our customers. We saw some pretty incredible results over the last four years as a result of changing up our business model by asking those simple questions from the beginning. What's powerful about the story is not only the internal consistency, right? The alignment of the customer purpose with the employees reducing, you said, employee churn as well as customer dissatisfaction, but also and the team base versus individual make it less of a factory and the pro-consumer manifesto. But also the fact that it it's worked. I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, the customers are happy. They, they stay with you longer than any other group, as far as I can tell. But you were mentioning or alluding to the fact that, you know, it was a pretty brave step five or six years ago when you collectively embarked on this mission under you know, John's leadership and vision. But I, I've seen your executive team in action, and it's kind of a, it's a crazy gang. Everyone's happy, <laughs> and they got the colors and the hats and the stuff. I mean, what's it like being a part of that dynamic group of folks going from, you know, the dark days at the very beginning or the unknown days, let's put it that way, to now you're basking a bit in the success of of what you jointly tried to do? What's it like being on that team? Well, I'll tell you. So I've been at T-Mobile for almost 16 years and uh, was here during all the dark days, pre-John Ledger and Mike Sievert and post-John Ledger and Mike Sievert. And it's a pretty uh, extraordinary difference. It also shows me what great, bold, courageous leadership can do for a team. You know, we didn't have a lot of turnover at T-Mobile when John came in as the CEO and Mike came in as the COO, or sorry, I think he came in as the CMO at the time. But when they came in, 
you know, we were losing customers, bleeding left and right. We were in a really tough spot. And they came and gave this this sort of bold, like, we're going to be number one in wireless. We are going to be the number one growth company. And that was pretty audacious at the time, given the circumstances. So you have people that had the courage to take very calculated risks, but if they failed, the company failed. And willing to put everything on the line to create the uncarrier vision. I learned from that, got to watch it, see it, and also it rubbed off on me as a, a leader as well. So on the team, I mean, I guess I could say a couple of things. One is there's no thought, there's no room given for not succeeding. There's no appetite for it. And there's also no moment of patting each other on the back. I feel like as a team, there's always this running scared, like just running scared. And I think it, it's, if you grew up in a household of scarcity, like I, I grew up on a s- small farm in a trailer house in very modest beginnings. There is something that you kind of never leaves you of the scarcity mentality. And I think every leader on the team has that just threaded through them a bit that it could all go away. So there's an intensity on this team. And then there's a wildness of celebration and joy by the fact that we said, we're going to love our front line. We're going to lean into them. We're going to believe with all of our hearts that no company can match what this company can do because of our people. And we're going to make our decisions around those people. And we're going to invest in them um, by making them all shareholders in the company. And that creates a lot of trust and authenticity. Then I will also tell you, if you're going to work at T-Mobile, just get ready to have confetti in your hair or like glitter down your back or like it's wild. I mean, there's always some kind of wild, unexpected celebration going on to recognize the people who have helped us build this thing. So no joke. Sometimes I'll leave a call center and I'll get in a plane and I'll I'll get up out of the plane seat. I'll look down. There'll be like glitter in my chair. I'll be like, <laughs> oh, it's just a job, just job hazard. So it's an intense team that that celebrates and drives hard, who values and prizes creativity and kind of being rebellious punks, you know, a little there's an edge that exists on the team, too, which I like. I like what you say. It's a purpose driven place. It's very authentic. You're talking about urgency, the make or break mentality and the personal chemistry is obviously very important. You can take a lot of the ingredients you refer to. Right. And a lot of companies are in turnaround situations, but they don't pull it off. They have the similar goals, but you collectively with your colleagues have put together some magic there. So congratulations. I mean, that's a great story to hear. And I love hearing about the customer service angle, the pro-consumer angle, and the, the willingness to transform yourselves for that purpose. So well done. I wanted to come maybe switch a bit, Callie, to maybe your personal view of leadership and topic of joy. Maybe from a leadership perspective, what you know, what are some of the lessons learned that you have, you've alluded to a few already, but mistakes you might have made as a leader, lessons that you'd like to take forward? When I first came to customer care, I had come up from 12 years in sales, distribution, wholesale, some business planning, and really knew nothing about customer care. And when you step into something you haven't known before, to try and make strategic decisions about where you're going to lead the business, you don't always understand the implications of those decisions. So there was some things that I wanted to try out early on where I said, you know, let's pull all these metrics off and let's just focus on resolution. And our average handle time flew out of the roof. And basically, I was breaking all of care. Service levels were declining and it was very bad. And I was ignorant of the sensitivity and 
flow dynamics of call center operations just nearly crippled us for a while. And that was pretty hard to watch. And and as a new leader, I just had to pull my team together and say, I, I really messed up. And I need to understand where this went wrong and I need your help. And here's what I was trying to accomplish. And what they, well, I guess what we discovered as a team is that they could trust me to tell the truth about where I was coming from and not try and through ego or, you know, embarrassment, not deal with the problems at hand. And we also learned how to have conflict, how to fight and how to tell each other the truth. And I, I think that's really important for a team that wants to innovate and wants to take risks and take chances together. So that was a quick lesson, a quick fail. I think people talk about that a lot of failing fast. Some people say you need to go in and have some big successes early on. I I felt like that failure early on was really important to defining and shaping our dynamic as a leadership team that could solve problems together. Now, I've seen you in action as well, and you are a ball full of energy. You're just always on the go. You always seem happy. I'd like to hear more about, is there anything behind that? Is there, are you always that way? Anything in your personal routines that keep you at that high level of pace and energy? Yeah, I get that feedback a lot. And people ask me that, that, like, why so happy? Or how can uh, this be? How, how do you stay at the this like level of intensity? On the one hand, I don't know. I am who I am. But I will tell you, I was thinking about this, some things. My mom, when I was a kid growing up, she used to always tell me, are you sad? Are you troubled? You know, are you anxious? Start giving thanks. Be grateful. Anything, anything that you can think of to be grateful for. And without you realizing it, it will transform you and you will find joy. Joy through suffering. Joy is a practice. And I mean, I can't even tell you how many times she would say that to me. And I, I do think it's a powerful way of walking through this world. There's, there's so many problems. I don't care if we're talking about the greater global place where we are as humans or whether it's, you know, sorrow or disappointment or failed expectations in your personal life. I just think it's been really key to me to be able to be grateful for for the things in my life. And, and it really does open me up to even despite difficult circumstances, be joyful. And I'll also tell you, I found some other things too that helped me not show up to work as a monster or, or tired or, you know, I say monster. I mean, like sometimes the politics of being in a corporate environment can get jealous and political and, you know, weird. And those things can take over, you know, ego, jealousy. I mean, that can really show up pretty poorly. And for me, I try to take time every morning and I'm pretty consistent about it. It's very rare that I miss this. But every morning I like to get a cup of coffee and sit down quietly. I read and then I journal. And that journal, I got to figure out a way that when I die, those are immediately like burned and destroyed. Those don't ever need to be out there. But it is for me to work out fear, anxiety, ideas. Sometimes it's creative. A lot of time, it's just get the noise out and to pray and reflect. And then, I don't know, that that kind of frees me up to be the leader I need to be at the day. And then I go to the gym or I just got a, a Peloton treadmill. And that's been really fun. On your routine, I'm very interested in the meditation part of the, you know, the reflective. Part. How long do you spend on that? And do you reread the stuff or is it just sort of an expression and then you bank it away? I do reread the things because I like to write down prayers and things that I'm struggling with. And it's really kind of unbelievable to go back a year later or two years later, however long it is, and see what I was so scared about or nervous about and just see how those prayers were answered or see 
how the circumstance was really quite different. I find that very encouraging. And also I learn a lot from it. I don't know. I probably on a good day, if I get up and don't snooze, (laughs) I'll probably spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes only like 15 minutes. But I think it's, it's probably one of the best practices that plus some exercise to help me be free to lead. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, the first, the, the sort of the, the mindset of gratitude is key. I've heard that with a number of our podcast participants, as well as there was at least one uh, guest that, who also keeps a journal and wants to keep it secret forever also. Uh, <laughs> it uh, would could not be a, serve humanity, I don't well, believe. <laughs> I don't know. There could be, we could put her on you know, an auction site and see who, who, who would buy that. But I like the idea. It's sort of the big picture. Do you have people that you call or mentors that you go back to, teachers in high school, or people that inspired you on the way? How, who are your mentors? Who do you look to? There was a woman who was my second grade Sunday school teacher. Her name was Nedra. And when I was in the second grade, she like pulled me aside and like put her hands on my shoulders and just very lovingly was like, you are so special and you're going to do great things with your life. When I was in the second grade, you know, Mm. I have never forgotten that. Not ever. And I still talk to her. We have very different politics today. We're not, we don't have much in common, except for that woman spoke hope into my life. And I'll never forget what that feels like. I think about that a lot when I meet kids or talking with people and starting out in their careers, or sometimes I mentor high school students. And I just think how powerful that was for me. Like I felt like that I had a special role to play in this world. I can think of times when I was not being kind to myself or when I was really not making great decisions and how that was so alarmingly powerful. So that's from the way, way back. My parents have been unbelievable mentors and they're people that I call that are very safe and very encouraging and quite loving. And then I think, you know, from a business perspective, I think, you know, I look at the relationship that I have with Mike, who's our COO and president, or with John, or one of the other guys on the team, Dave Carey. Those three, in very different ways, have empowered me to take risks and lean into the person that they believe that I am which is awesome. If you've had people that believe things about you that you don't even know yet or haven't realized, and then push you to be more of that person than you knew you could be, that is an unbelievable, almost indescribable gift. And for whatever reason, that's been my experience over the last four years at T-Mobile. And, you know, you hear people talk a lot about having a mentor and having a sponsor. And those three have been a combination of some people that were willing to put their names on my back and push me into a position that I was not ready for, but saw something in me. And I think for me, I try and look around my team, our company, and even with kids in high school or, you know, just in the community that I run into to say, how how can I be that for those people? Because it's so it's so beautiful. And I think back to joy, when you get to to serve somebody that way or love them or, you know, help them engage with their life differently, man, that's that's better than a paycheck. That's better than a title or an accomplishment. I think it makes my soul expand, you know, and that's pretty awesome. That gift of caring for someone else and seeing the best in them and actually encouraging the best of them is so powerful. When you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, the teachers that, you know, influence myself. And it's very difficult, as you say, to overestimate the value of of teachers, period. Whether it's the high school math teacher or 
I still remember the fifth grade teacher who said this quote, I still use it in my head sometimes when I'm running, which is good, better, best, never rest till good be better and better best. I mean, it's an old <laughs> quote, but, and, and, you know, it just sort of comes off my tongue. Anytime I feel like I need a boost, I give myself a boost. Any advice for leaders that want to make their teams and their workplaces even more joyful than they are now? I've definitely had times in my career where I hated my job. I found it completely uninspiring, or I worked for a really difficult boss that I didn't believe in or admire. Those are pretty tough times. It's hard to find joy in those times. And while I think they can be beneficial and you can learn some things through them, I would say to anyone who wants purpose and joy in their careers that what you're working on, you know, if it doesn't give you goosebumps, if you can't get excited about it, like don't stop until you find that thing. It's maybe because I no longer my 30s and in my 40s, some people may roll their eyes. I just feel like, hey, you get one shot at this. And so do the things that give you goosebumps. Was it Eleanor Roosevelt who said, do one thing every day that that frightens you? I don't know if she said that, but I feel like people have attributed that to her. And um, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Fact check. But I'm going to check it in a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think there's something to that. Like have a little bit of fear, take some risk, but make sure that that what the work that you're doing is a thing that you care deeply about. And I know that's not rocket science, but I think it'll serve you. And then I would say find a team, the people that work around you that can run with you and that want to. I was at a dinner with my team in Charleston after an event the other day, and we were toasting to the some accomplishments and everybody was kind of going around giving a speech. And almost all of them, I think actually all of them said somewhere towards the beginning of their speech, I've never worked harder in my life. This is the hardest I've ever worked. And I was kind of like, oh no, <laughs> like it's all my fault. <laughs> but every one of them said, I've never had so much fun. I've never enjoyed what I'm doing so much. It's never been such a joyful experience for me all the way around the table. And I learned from that. I was like, you know, if you get a group of people that are smarter than you, that challenge you, that want to run fast with you, you're going to find joy. And then I would say the last one is don't be scared to love people. Whether you're at a corporate environment or you're taking care of people at some sort of facility or you're providing a service to them in some way. I think I, I felt like if you were a great corporate-y, pretty leader, you would keep your feelings at bay, you know, and, you know, that, oh, that was more professional. And what I have found is that people have a deep need to be cared for and respected. And so to care deeply about your employees and to create business solutions that reflect a deep love and care for employees is, is actually an unbelievably powerful tool. So invest and take a risk and maybe you love someone or care about them and they completely screw it up and it's, you know, a mess, but so worth it. And I think that makes work not work. It makes it life. And it's pretty beautiful. I love your uh, goosebump test, which is do something that uh, gives you goosebumps. I always get a lot of energy. It's infectious speaking with you, Callie. I want to thank you for taking the time out of a busy week to, to chat with us here on the podcast. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. And I'm glad that you're asking these questions, Alex. It's great. And thanks to Callie Field for joining us. If you're looking for ways to bring more joy into your work, subscribe to Joy at Work in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
And we'd love to hear about how your team creates joy at work. Post on social media with the hashtag joy at work. And if you have ideas for future topics or guests, email us at joy at atcarney.com.